think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, dear listeners. Uh, welcome to a new episode of the Particular Particular Podcast, where we talk everything a little. It was the Super Duelo on Sunday, Aliti vs Barca, and sadly for Aliti fans. Cholo's poor record against Barcelona in La Liga continues. He's never beaten Barca in La Liga and heading to the clash, Aliti were kind of favorites for the first time in a long while or for the first time in like forever. But sadly, Aliti's performance could not put up with what we have seen throughout the season and Xavi kind of had everything spot on and we are going to talk about what went through the game and joining me to do that is Neil. Neil, how are you doing? Very good, mate. Thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, great to come and talk about the game and, yeah, excited to get started. Well, Neil, thanks for accepting our invite. It's a pleasure to have you here. Someone who follows Barca, know a lot about yeah. Barca. So, Neil, how are you feeling after the win? I'm feeling great, mate. It was such an important win for for Barcelona. You know, the Porto game, then the Atletico Madrid game, and now the Girona game. I think these were three or are three decisive games for the rest of the season because... If you think about Barcelona, had they lost this game to Atletico Madrid, then you go and lose to Girona, you're chasing three teams and it's not even the new year. You're almost seven to ten points behind. It's not even the new year yet. So that could have just meant that the, the season is over for us almost in La Liga because, okay, one team might slip up, right? Two might slip up, but are three teams going to slip up ahead of you? So, um, no, I think this was a very important win for Barcelona and I'm so... So happy, not only for the win, but also for the performance, because at the end of the day, I think Barcelona played one of their best games, especially in the midfield. I think we created a lot of good chances, and if not for some better finishing from the striker, um, and a few of the the wingers too, I think Barcelona could have been um, up by two or three within the first 20 minutes of the game. So yeah, I would have hoped for a bigger victory, you know, just to build that momentum but you know one nil win with a clean sheet is also very important against a very fierce rival so yeah very happy from a Barcelona perspective um well Neil um like you said um you guys could have been not just two two nil maybe four up if you guys were yeah. local but thank god for Lewandowski and Aleti do not have one of those away days where I as a fan early days where I think where Barca under Pep then Aleti maybe just started under Simeone and then we know the score lines 4-0, 4-1. 
lucky for Lewandowski, I think we do not have a repeat of that because that would have been so, so damaging to Alice's confidence. Um, Neil, um, a quick question. Um, how do you think the win in midweek against Porto, even though it was at home, but Porto actually are a very good team. And how do you think yeah. that victory kind of prepared Barca for the game? I think that game against Porto, I think it should Barcelona go on a big run now and start racking up those wins. I think the game against Porto was one of the most important victories because it was the first game that Javi moved Jao Cancelo to the left flank. And it was the first game in the second half where we started to see a bit of understanding in the midfield. Moving to moving Cancelo to the left, in my opinion, is a very inspired change. I've been calling for it for a long time just because of how much more dynamic he is on the left side, right? And then also, when you combine how the midfield got together in that second half versus Porto, but they took it to another level against the Madrid. I think we saw a clear role. We saw Frankie de Jong as your build-up specialist. You saw Gundogan dictating the tempo of the game. And most importantly, you saw Pedri getting involved, getting double the amount of touches he's normally been getting in his previous games. So... All of that stems from the second half against Porto. And I think Xavi did a great job by not changing his lineup. He stuck with the same system and he made some very important tactical adjustments, especially with um, the midfield that propelled Barcelona to go ahead and play one of their best games of the season against Atletico Madrid. So, yeah, very important um, was that Porto victory. Yeah, it was, like you said, it was very important because Xavi did a lot of things right. And like you've said, a lot of coercion, a lot of, let's say, the players actually knowing what they are actually to do because we have watched Barca this season and in some games, like I personally watched the game against Alaves and believe it or not, but in the first half of the game with Barca having players like Cancelo, Felix, Alaves committed basically no foul. So that actually tells you for the fact that not that Alaves were a clean team, but he actually says that despite the fact that Basad even Lamin Yemal and all of us know how Yemal is actually very, very good in dribbling, but they did not actually force the opponent's hand or they did not actually without treating it. Um, a lot of con- confusion, not a lot of coercion, which we saw against Aleti and against Porto in the second half. And it shows that um, Felix actually having a goal to boost his confidence. And we saw what he did um, against his current owners. And we'll not do much on that for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Neil, um, it actually looks like um, a defeat for Aliti was not the best bet. I think we all know Aliti don't have a good record against Barca in the league. Yep. And, but Aliti actually coming to the game with the game in hand actually implies that even if they lost the game, it's true. We, could have, we have missed a chance to have maybe an open against a rival. Mm-hmm. But now, if we win our game in hand, then we can actually stop being seven points adrift now to four points adrift and we are kind of back in the race. So it was actually, actually not very, very bad for that. So Neil, um, focusing more on the game and um, talking about um, the Barca's tactics, um, what do you actually think, Chul, um, I'm sorry, Xavi actually did right because he's actually, he actually has a 100% record against Simeon at the moment. What do you think he did right for this game? It's really like you mentioned coming from the Porto game with a very big victory, which actually made Barcelona qualify for the next round of Champions League. Yeah, well, I think the most important thing was getting or making sure that midfield works properly because throughout the season, Barcelona's biggest problem has been how dysfunctional the midfield has looked. You know, when Oriol Romeo plays, we know he's a proper six, he's a good profile, but he's so out of form. So Xavi's made the bold decision to play 
Kinsella and, I mean, sorry, Frankie de Jong and Gundogan and sort of a pivot. So you have Frankie de Jong as your first base build-up specialist and then you have Gundogan who's your circulator, who's creating the tempo of the game, who's adding the pauser. Now, it's the first time that's actually happened against Atletico Madrid because in previous games, it's all been Frankie de Jong who receives the ball from the first phase and then he basically progresses the ball forward and it's all so rushed. You know, there's no... There's no cohesion in the midfield. Pedri doesn't have a role to play. Gundogan looked like a passenger. But that changed against Atletico Madrid. I think it all came together where Frankie de Jong's responsibility on the ball was limited. He wasn't doing everything. He wasn't progressing. He wasn't circulating. He wasn't creating. He was just your first face build-up specialist. And then Gundogan and Pedri had defined roles. Pedri was very important. You know, in the first goal, if you see the position Pedri takes up, he was almost as a decoy dragging players out. And that was very important because Pedri is a type of player who attracts a lot of bodies to him. And, you know, we know how great he is in tight spaces. He can create. He can wiggle out of tight spaces. And that was very important. So the cohesion in the midfield was one very big tactical change. And the other one, of course, I've touched on is the jowls, the two jowls on the left flank. Now, I think this is important because you have... Jao Felix, who inverts, and he drags one man inside with him, which then allows Cancelo with a ton of room to sort of maneuver in and out of spaces, to create, to play those switches, and to be his dynamic self. So, generally speaking, you know, the structure was quite similar with your three CBs and then um, a wingback, but just with those two changes of moving Cancelo to the left and getting Jao Felix to occupy... Um, his man by inverting into the midfield and then the cohesion of that midfield um, I think was a inspired tactical change by Xavi and that was probably how we won that game because if Barcelona played the way they did against Alavés or against Sevilla or any of those other games with the midfield being as dysfunctional as it was I don't think um, we would have come away with the win and one more thing one more important tactical change I'd like to mention is how aggressive our midfield was I thought Barcelona played Sort of a mid-block, but it was very aggressive. So if you'd notice, Atletico Madrid were turning over the ball more than they have all season long. You had the interceptions coming from Gundogan and, and the aggressive back line. So out of possession, I think Barcelona's shape was aggressive and that, I think, caught Atletico off guard a little bit and it made sure that um, we retained control of the game on and off the ball, which was very important, at least for 65 or 70 minutes. And then, of course, Atletico got back into it. Well, um, wow, that was actually fantastic. So, um, you've pointed out um, having the jewels on the right and Felix inverting, dragging, and then creating space out wide for Cancelo, who is basically a chief creator in the final third. We have seen what he can do for City. And then you mentioned the midfield being aggressive. I think that was something I myself was not actually expecting. I was not expecting them to be that very that aggressive because I was expecting that um, with Gavi out, I think Barcelona would miss that uh, midfielder who is actually very aggressive, someone to, who is a very good ball winner because among all the midfield throw, comparing Gavi to the midfield throw you had against Aleti, that's Frankie De Jong, Gundogan and Pedri. He's actually a better ball winner than all of them. But it was like, Gundogan actually kind of back his words. He was like, these are the games he came to Barca to win and his performance in that game was actually very good on and off the ball, um, which was great. And you mentioned something which I think was very surprising to me because we know Frankie as a do-it-all player. But it was a, mm-hmm. in that game, he kind of was, he was, sorry, he was given a role and 
the role you actually talked about, the first a player we just involved in the first phase of build-up. And I can recall the first instant in the game where Aleti were about to press and then you have Frankie's, Frankie doing a carry and then beating the press and kind of setting up a transition-like situation, which was one of the reasons which kind of forced mm-hmm. Aleti into a, a deep block. And you also mentioned the fact that um, Barca had a lot of turnovers. Now, it comes to a very important question because this has been a debate, especially after the game. Because... Uh, I think Barca were very good, but I don't. I don't think Xavi's tactics against Aleti was as good as that of Madrid. The reason is, I mm-hmm. think Aleti actually died in the game in the first three minutes, where you have two turnovers, which led to two big chances. I think Barca were very good, but Aleti dying in the first minute of the game from very very poor giveaways. I will not just say they were poor giveaways, but that was thanks to Barca for capitalizing and also kind of sniffing it out because Koke's pass for Lewandowski's big chance, Joao kind of anticipated and made a like a U-run around Lorente to intercept the pass. So I want to ask you, do you think um, Barca actually won the game because they kind of made Aleti bad or Barca won the game because they were good and Aleti were bad or Barca won the game because Aleti were bad? Yeah, well, I think it's a bit of both. You know, there's an action and there's a reaction. So I thought Barcelona's actions were very good. I thought we did most things right. We came out with the right mentality. But then Atletico Madrid's reaction just wasn't up to the mark. You know, we saw them not being as aggressive as they usually are, going into their shell a little bit, not being as dynamic and bold and creative. And a very big aspect of shutting Atletico Madrid down is shutting two players down, Koke and Griezmann. Griezmann didn't have his best game, and Koke didn't have his best game. And I think Barcelona sort of forced that. And at the same time, the way Atleti sort of went into their shell a little bit forced them not to be able to play their best game. So these two things, I think, played a big part in Barcelona sort of asserting their dominance and um, Atletico going back into their shell, which is very important because we know that you can get at Barcelona. We know that this team has problems. They have flaws. They are vulnerable in certain situations. If you show a bit of personality, even like the Shakhtar Donetsk can give Barcelona problems. So when Atleti actually came to play the game, which was in the last 30 minutes, we saw Barcelona concede two very clear-cut chances. Had Atleti done that maybe in the 30th minute, of course the game would have been a bit more open and maybe Barcelona would have had more chances, but they already had so many chances to score goals. What I would have liked to see from Atletico Madrid was a bit more personality, a bit more dynamism and a bit more bold boldness going forward. So um, I think it was a missed opportunity because, you know, you, you mentioned that Atletico Madrid aren't out of the race. You know, they have a game in hand. They could be level on point to Barcelona. But a win against Barcelona away from home, I think their first win in the league in the Simeone era to Barcelona away from home, it would have done so much for this side's confidence given the great form they've been in. And they could have believed that they're genuine title contenders, maybe even favourites to go and win the league. So it was a very big missed opportunity in my opinion. Yeah, Neil, um, I agree with you that it was a very big missed opportunity. And like you have rightly said, it's a bit of both. And what I will actually praise is Barcelona's bravery. When I say bravery, I'm saying bravery in the fact that Aleti kind of started the game very poorly and they made a mistake. And like you said, they went into their shell. But kudos to Barca for actually forcing them to stay back in that shell. Because you know, in life, when you make a mistake, actually you learn from it and then you grow gradually. So in that game, Aleti made a mistake and Barca in the first half did not give Aleti space to grow. 
to learn from that mistake or to like grow into the game. And it was like the kind of scarred Koke because Koke's mistake which created a chance for Lewandowski and Witzel safeties. Witzel, Witzel actually made a good block to deny Lewandowski a clear shot on target. Then fighting from there, I think he was like scarred and it was not just down to him because Koke actually had his worst passing percentage in the league since 2020 in October against Sevilla. So it actually shows the good work Barcelona actually did for him not to have a very good game. And we all know, like you said, was actually stopping two players to actually keep Atleti quiet, which was Griezmann and Koke. And we all know Griezmann is kind of like the orchestra of Atleti's attacks. But we saw Griezmann rushing the play. It was not just him rushing the play because he was rushing, but he was rushing the play because from the first half, you have Barcelona, like you said, a lot of aggressiveness from them. So even in the second half, when he kind of had the space, he kind of still rushed things. So it was like saying that Barcelona really scarred Aleti from the first half in which Aleti could not recover even through the 90 minutes, even though they were able to kind of create some chances within the um, within the second half. Um, Neil, um, now the question is, where do you think um, Cholo actually got things from? Well, it, it's hard to pinpoint one specific area because I think the setup, as, as I've touched on already, was, was just not ideal because you want to be bold against Barca. I would like to see Atletico trying to set their dominance a bit more and get Koke in the ball and get Griezmann in the ball. But there's also an element that it was just a bad day. And a lot of Atletico Madrid's players actually did not play well. You had Molina, who didn't have a great game. Koke didn't have a great game. Griezmann didn't have a great game. Hermoso and Jimenez didn't have a great game. So there are just so many flaws that came out individually that I think it's a mix of, of the tactics not being great and going into a shell, but also the players not rising to the occasion. And Barcelona, of course, also doing very well. So... At the end of the day, I don't want to read too much into, you know, Cholo did this wrong and Javi did this right because sometimes you can just have a bad day and it's not like Atletico Madrid lost to, you know, a team at the bottom of the table. At the end of the day, you lost to a side like Barcelona. And when you have the individual quality that Barcelona has, it's very difficult to play against because you never know what you're going to get. If one player has a good game, either a Felix or a Cancelo or a Gundogan or a Pedro or a Rafinha, they can go toe-to-toe with almost any side in the world. And in this case, um, they came up against an Atletico Madrid side that just wasn't on their best. And, you know, I think they won pretty pretty comfortably. So that's what I'd pin it down to fundamentally as opposed to, you know, going into um, the nitty-gritties. Although what I will say is this wasn't the Atletico Madrid that I'm used to seeing all season long, right? We've been praising Atletico Madrid for how bold they've been, for how aggressive they've been, um, especially with the wing-backs procuring the width, being dynamic on the flanks. But that just didn't happen. And um, again, I'd say that was a missed opportunity because everyone knows that Barcelona and Real Madrid, when you play them, the whole world is watching. And Atletico Madrid have this very unfair reputation of being a defensive side, of just um, going into their shell, playing a low block and... Showing that against Barcelona, showing the world that you're not this side anymore, that you don't go into your shell, that you're bold and dynamic, would have been would have been very, very big for Atletico Madrid and would have been a huge opportunity, as I mentioned before. So that's what I'd basically put it down to. Well, um, excuse me. Well, um, Neil, um, I think, um, like you've rightly said, it was actually a chance for, like, Cholo, maybe to, like, 
Chulutaka to gain more followers and the rest. But um, like you said, we failed to show it up. And it was actually surprising because the attack, the lineup, sorry, was very attacking minded. And they were glimpses in the first half. I think after Aleti made a mistake, um, from those two mistakes, I think from that thing, the fourth minute, Aleti kind of had a build up on the right hand side with Lorente linking up with Molina. And then Molina not getting a shot because of Araujo. That was actually positive. But from there, kind of died out. And then I think around the 30th minute, you have another opportunity with the young blocking um, Griezmann's shot, which was actually showed Aliti had it. But then, like you said, um, the Warsaw Aliti has a reactive team, which I think most Aliti fans won't care because they are already used to the fact that um, Aliti is being branded that way. And especially, like you said, most of those who don't watch La Liga actually watched that game. But they were like, ah, is this the team they say has changed? But they actually saw um, the Aliti they knew of old, which was not the best. So, Neil, uh, more on Barca. I want to ask them, um, do you think the Barca midfield we saw against Aliti is actually the, the midfield that um, can actually maybe enable Barca to achieve some of, if not all of their goals this season? Mm. Well, I think without Gavi, without Gavi, you know, he's injured for the rest of the season. This is Barcelona's strongest midfield by far. You know, there's no question. It does have problems. You know, we saw how good they can be against Seiko Madrid, but not every game is going to be like that. One big problem is that we have no ball winners. Like you mentioned earlier, without Gavi, there are no players who can win the ball. But one thing Barcelona did well was show that they can still be aggressive and they can still make those interceptions and push high up in forced areas without Gavi. Now, that's good, but can we see that consistently and sustainably? If we can, I'd, I'd have way more hope going forward but right now I'm still on the fence I wouldn't make definitive claims um the other thing is we don't have a natural number six ideally I think you need to go out there and buy a proper defensive midfielder because you're wasting Gundogan as a mere circulator you know you need him to be making those runs into the box to be playing further forward because this this is a player who consistently scores 10 to 15 goals a season and at Barcelona right now, because we don't have a defensive midfielder that's being wasted. And also, I still don't think Pedri's role is as clear as it can be. You know, Pedri should be your primary creator. He should be getting on the ball. He should be making things happen in the final third. But right now, we saw what he can do against Atletico Madrid, but that was mainly just as a pocket player and sort of a decoy at times. Um, so I think this will be Xavi's main midfield, but right now, I'm not 100% sure as to how it'll all come together. That game against Atletico Madrid was a very small sample size of the potential of this midfield, but it was also a very specific game state where Atletico Madrid retreated a little bit, and Barcelona got a lot of space and time for their very technical midfielders to sort of pass the ball around and do whatever they felt like. Not every game is going to be like that. You know, teams are going to make it hard, especially when you get into the latter stages of the Champions League and, of course, a few sides in La Liga as well. So um, I need to see more, but ideally I think Barcelona's biggest priority has to be going into the market and signing a proper defensive midfielder, someone who can win the ball back, first of all, you know, be your ball winner, but also someone who can progress and, and um, who's got that ball progression on lock. Because right now, I think we're wasting Gundogan and, and to an extent as well, Pedri. So 
I need to see more from this midfield apart from the game against Atletico Madrid. Well, that's the story of Barca for the last five years. We need a Busquets replacement. <laughs> Sadly, you guys yeah. are not going anywhere. But it's kind of shocking, you know, because um, Rodri was there for the taking at Villarreal. Atleti kind of made a bet on him. And then when he came to Atleti, I think that was like no news on, on La Liga FT. Everybody's like, this guy yeah. is definitely Busquets' replacement. And if there's one player Barcelona should take from Atleti, in which Barcelona have like a contract with Atleti, I think for several players for first refuser in terms of future sales, you have, I think, that for Saul and maybe Jimenez. That was a player Barcelona had to go for. But surprisingly, yeah. surprisingly, Barca didn't go for him. And then he is now one of the best the holding midfielders in the world, playing for one of the best coaches I've ever seen in my life, for Pep Guardiola. So mm-hmm. I think Barca is kind of a yeah. hit and miss with transfers. But well, I think under Xavi, the transfers have kind of improved. And like you rightly said, Barca is still a work in progress at the moment. And a lot of things they have to improve, improve and hopefully Barca fans can be patient. So, Neil, um, talking about the game, we have to talk about your midfield. I want to talk about, you have talked about the Joas and now I want to talk about your right-hand side because we have Kunde. Oh, yeah. And then at the end of the season, um, last season, Kunde was like, kids did not sign for football club Barcelona to be a right-back. And everybody was like, mm-hmm. well, at Sevilla, we kind of saw him, we saw, sorry, we saw him doing very well playing as partner to Diego Carlos who is now Aston Villa but yesterday sorry on Sunday against Aleti he was actually fantastic with his overlaps and he kind of formed a midfield throw sorry a throw on the right hand side which caused Aleti a lot of damage on Aleti's weakest side because when it comes to ball output left hand side of Aleti is fantastic and the right hand side is not so great but that was the reverse against Barca because against you guys, it's like you guys found a way to shut down our left-hand side, which kind of forced a lot of turnovers and which was a source for most of your chances. And now the left-hand side is not very great defensively because we have De Paul, Hermoso, and Riquelme there. Riquelme is basically what we call a player who operates, let's say, in the half space or like an attacking midfielder, so not so great defensively. Hermoso, we all know his history with defensive lapses even though he has improved recently and as for De Paul he's kind of an he's an eight but a player who shines when he has the ball not so much when he does not have the ball and Barca took advantage of that which was great so can you explain to us uh, what actually clicked and why do you think Xavi went choose um sorry Xavi choose the um, Rafinha ahead of Yamal yeah well first of all I think touching on Kunde I think he is actually very decent as sort of a right back, but also your right outside CD, because what defines him is, of course, he's good on the ball. He can progress really well. His distribution is quite bold, but his ball carrying is actually very, very good. So he can take the ball from deep and he can progress forward, and that's what he did so many times against Atleti. Now, of course, he's not going to be like your high-productivity right wing back who's going to consistently overlap and produce, but he is definitely good enough considering how good he is defensively. So if you combine his ball progression, which is decent, with his defensive abilities, which are great, I think that base of Jules Kunde, Ronald Araujo, and then either Christensen or Inigo Martinez is actually very solid for Barcelona, especially if you can get Cancelo um, being his dynamic self. Now, with Rafinha, one thing to note is his work rates are impeccable. So... 
in games like the game against Atleti, the game against Porto, that almost certainly separates him from Laminia Mal, who's still, you know, learning he isn't physically developed. But another thing about Rafinha is he makes things happen. You know, we can talk about his dribbling, of course. He is in a high-volume dribbler. It's not great. But if you talk about putting the ball into dangerous areas and making things happen, Rafinha is the best in our squad to do so. His crosses whipping in from the left or from the right are absolutely amazing. You know, he creates so many chances for Lewandowski. And then his ball striking is the great equaliser. You know, I saw... He hit the post once against Atleti, and he does that on so many occasions. You know, you know he can strike from deep. He can whip those crosses in. He's going to work hard for you. So he's a very good player. Now, if I have one concern, it's that I don't think that Kunde can sustainably be your overlapping right back and and give you great productivity. So you're going to have to settle for Kunde being your more passive right back as he was last season. If Kunde is your more passive right back, you need a touchline winger who can handle the flanks. That's not Rafinha. Rafinha needs to be involved. He needs to cut inside. You need to bring the best out of his ball striking and this creative passing, which happens in more central areas. We've seen Xavi do a very interesting experiment where he plays both Laminia Mal and Rafinha on the same flanks. So Laminia Mal stays out wide. He's your one weave one winger and he handles that flank. Whereas Rafinha is more inside. He plays as your sort of attacking midfielder in those right half spaces. And, and I think that's the role for him. So if Xavi changes his system a little bit, you know, of course you'd have to drop either Gundogan, Pedri or De Jong. But in certain occasions, especially when the going gets tough, if you have that 3CB base with Cancelo, you can have a dynamic of Rafinha, Lamine Yamal and maybe Pedri on the right, which I think would be great. So um, very interesting questions because there's still Ferran Torres and we have Victor Roque coming in. So I'm very, very interested to see what Xavi does with his front line because there are just so many things you can do. For me personally, right now, I would pick Rafinha purely because of how productive he can be at times. And then I would have Felix on the left. But you know where I'm going with this. I will relegate Lewandowski to the bench as soon as possible. Um, but yeah, that's that's just how I'd have it at the moment. Well, um, Neil, I think... Um... You have said a lot. Rafinha uh, was actually very dangerous against us because um, you were just, I think one of the reasons he was actually very, very, very effective was for the fact that at certain moments you could just see Pedri just there in the right half space, just spinning Hermoso. And then you have Kunde overlapping. So Hermoso is caught up between two men. Should I like try to follow the run of Kunde and then that kind of great space now for his deliveries to Lewandowski. And thankfully for you guys, Lewandowski has been the Lewandowski we have seen since the start of the year. He's not been very, very good. I don't know how that's going to translate. I think that also affects your title push because if he was clinical, I think um, despite Barca's struggling performances, I think you guys could have been higher up the table. So you talked about the fact that um, Kunde's, mm. Kunde has a overlapping, as an overlapping... Um, Right back is not sustainable. So does that mean um, you are in favor of Barca bringing Julian Araujo back next season? Yes, I am definitely in favor of bringing Julian Araujo back next season. I think I think he's been very. I think he's been my surprise of the season. To be honest, I had no expectations from Julian Araujo, but I think he's been very solid this season. And I don't. Okay, you you don't have to bring him back with the expectations of him being a 
indispensable starter, but I think he could be a very valuable profile because he can overlap, he can get forward, but he's also very solid defensively. And his physicality, even though he's short and his frame is kind of lean, he's also quite strong and he's good defensively and he's quick. I saw him deal with Vinicius Junior in that game um, against Madrid and I thought he held himself really well. So, um, of course, the season is still long. We'll see how he goes for the rest of the season. But I'm a big fan of Julian Araujo from the little I've seen so far. Well, um, hopefully you guys don't get him back because... And he's also a very huge fan and actually he fits perfectly into the role Kunde was given last season. That kind of a right centre-back role with licence to advance higher with the pitch and his recovery pace is actually very scary. I think he's a very, very good player. Yeah. And for a team like Barca who actually struggles a lot off the ball, having someone like him be very, very good for you guys, which is not also very good for your rivals like us in terms of challenging for the league. Um, Neil, I think we have to talk about Lewandowski because it's not normal. Oh, oh, yeah. This is a guy who has been banging on goals in the Bundesliga for fun. Mm-hmm. Comes to La Liga, he wins GG, yeah. he goes to the World Cup, comes back, and then it's not like I want to compare him and like a disrespect, but he's playing like someone who is actually who has whose confidence has actually been shattered. Because yeah, some of the chances he misses girl. I cannot believe this is the Lewandowski. Uh-huh. I can say I watch at Dortmund and I also watch at Bayern because it's actually very shocking. Yeah. The Lewandowski I know against Aleti Barcelona two or three up by halftime just for him scoring a hat-trick. But the Lewandowski we are seeing now, oh my God. I don't know if we are watching, mm. let's say, a 19 or 16-year-old who just pop up to the scene and is trying to impress at a club because he's been dreadful. When I say dreadful, one of the things I think that Lewandowski very good where he's overall link-up play. You have him creating opportunities for himself through his dribbling, his first touch. But then you have a guy who out yeah. of nowhere drops into midfield and then his first touch is very dreadful. I'm like, is it because he's already 35 but God, that decline is so bad? Because I can recall his yeah. decline and Ronaldo's decline was not as bad as that. He is very bad. I don't no. At the level he is now, he even plays for any La Liga club. To be honest, he's very mm. bad. He's that level of bad. It's true, he has <laughs> which we yeah. saw against Alaves, where he scored two goals. But God, sorry, put a little bit of French, but man, he's bad. He's really, really bad. <laughs> so, Neil, <laughs> I don't watch um, Barca that closely or that with the tactical eye. We're very keen as I do for Aliti. But what do you think is an issue for Lewandowski? Is it down to confidence? Is it down to a decline? What is the issue? Because you, I think you have um, a La Liga commentator like Terry Gibson saying he's struggling, but he believes Lewandowski will be back. I think Graham Hunter even wrote an article today on how dreadful he has been. So what is the issue? Because I don't understand this decline. This level of decline is very, very surprising because a world-class striker too. I don't want to call the class, but it's very bad. What do you think is the issue? Yeah, mate, he looks completely out of it. In fact, I'd go as far as to say quite comfortably that he even looks worse than Luis Suarez in his last days for Barcelona and even for Atletico Madrid. You know, Barcelona fans wanted Suarez out because of how frustrating he was. I don't remember Suarez ever being this this bad, the form that Lewandowski is in right now. Yeah. It's everything, you know. When he first came to Barcelona, I was surprised because 
he, like you said, his first touch was so crisp. It was so neat. He'd link up the play. He'd be in the right positions. He'd score great goals. But the, all of that, all of that has gone completely out of the window. He was, and, and this isn't just this season. I think that Lewandowski has been very bad right since the World Cup, which is about one year ago now. So it's been one full year of Lewandowski putting in consistently bad performances. One problem is his positioning is very confusing. He will drop deep. He'll drop deep into the midfield, and he can't hold up the ball anymore. He can't link up the play anymore. So the ball is basically a graveyard when it goes to Lewandowski right now. The ball goes, he loses the ball, and it's a turnover. And then in the box, he gets the chances, and he can't convert the chances. You know, Barcelona fans, for a, lot of, for a long time, were making the argument that, oh, Lewandowski doesn't get chances. If you look at the highest XG created in La Liga, and I think also in Europe, Barcelona are number Barca. one. And Lewandowski has missed the most big chances. So he is just a shadow of himself right now. And I know you asked me for answers and you asked me for some tactical expertise, but to be honest with you, I don't have answers because his decline is just so steep. The only plausible expect- explanation is that he's old and sometimes when you're old, you just lose it, but he's lost it so fast and so drastically that it's it's very, very surprising. If I have to make any statements right now, it's that Lewandowski cannot play, cannot start for Barcelona every week. I think he can still have a role, you know, he can still score goals in certain situations. But when you have a 35-year-old starting week in and week out, playing 90 minutes, you know, Xavi doesn't even sub him off. You just... You just can't have that. And I think if maybe, maybe if you gave him a bit of a rest, if you deployed him like Ronaldo was deployed by Zidane all those years ago, you know, he plays some game, he's rested in between, maybe we'd get to see a fresher and better version of Lewandowski. Um, But this creates a very big big problem right now because we have an 18-year-old coming in in January, Victor Roque. Now, the problem is Lewandowski has been so bad that the expectations for Roque are to come in and be Barcelona's main man right away. He's an 18-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Ideally, Barcelona would have had a situation where he would have learned from Lewandowski, where he would have played 20, 30 minutes a game, and Lewandowski would have showed him the ropes. But with Lewandowski unable to hold the ropes himself, it's created a situation where you're expecting a child to come in and be your number one, we- your number one striker. And that is very, very dangerous, in my opinion. Uh, exactly, Neil. It's actually shocking and some clarity because I'm saying so because of how reactive the Barca fan base can be. It's not like I'm playing Lewandowski. It's not like I'm comparing him to Messi or Ronaldo like I mentioned both. I'm just saying that his decline is just just so shocking because I have, I'm actually a huge fan of the guy and it's actually sad. It's true, like they said, you can't beat age because it's though it's just a number but it always catch up to you and we have seen that with previous players and like you said at the moment he needs rest he needs rotation and i can think in my opinion he's one of the reasons i think you guys lose the classical because you took out the intensity of the press mm. of ferran and then you brought him on and then he came on and then he just did whatever and i think also in the game against porto there was a moment where ferran was actually flick on a header trying to like maybe gain some minutes because Porto were putting on the pressure to equalize and you have Lewandowski just trolling from an offside position. It's like he has a lot of things which yeah. are just not going for him at the moment and 
Yeah, you know, one thing I'd mention is how physically poor he looks. The thing about Lewandowski is he was a predator in the box. Of course, his finishing wasn't always um, precise. But if you look at that, you know, you remember that cross Rafinha whipped in um, and it was a clear chance for Lewandowski in the game against that time. He just could not, he just wasn't strong enough. He couldn't leap, he couldn't get to the ball and the header went absolutely nowhere. So defenders don't fear Lewandowski anymore. You can drag him around, you can ragdoll him, you can use your physicality to impose yourself on him. And that is the scariest part for me because if he can't even be your target man in the box... He has almost no utility in this current Barcelona side, which is very, very scary because you can't go in with your European aspirations without a proper striker and without a proper goal scorer. So I think this is a very big problem. And I'm not being reactionary because I've seen this for almost one year now. This isn't something that's been happening for two or three months. So, um, yeah, very concerning times for Barcelona. I think that's the biggest concern in the squad right now, Lewandowski's form or decline, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Well, um, Neil, um, you just talked about his physicality. Do you actually think that it's actually due to the fact that he's now a Barca, not a Bayern? Because we know how when you're at Bayern, you can actually increase your muscles and due to their <laughs> physical training yeah. they have there and the rest, which is actually a reason I think most fans were praising the Brian Zaragoza to Bayern. And then we have had rumors of Barca. You have a lot of more training with on the pitch than actually off it, like physical training. Do you think that that's actually a factor or it's actually uncertain. I mean, look, it look, maybe Barcelona could benefit with physical training, but I don't think it's possible for a guy who is so strong and so sharp to lose so much so fast. You know, even even if the physical training isn't up to par, Lewandowski looks like he's been retired for three years and he just can't play football at the moment, you know. So um I don't think it explains his poor touches, how weak he is. It just it doesn't add up. So I think this is just something we're seeing in terms of a, a very sharp decline for a player who's aging now. You know, he's going to be 36 years old. Rationally, that's my only possible explanation. Sometimes when you play so much football, when you've won everything in the game, that motivation also dries up. So I think it's a factor of age, of motivation, and maybe of poor physical conditioning as well. So it's just not looking good at the moment. Yeah, well, it's kind of surprising motivation is an issue because he kind of left Bayern for a new challenge at Barca. But well, life, yeah. Life, is very, life, did, life yeah. is very funny, you know. So, well, oh, yeah, we don't know what would be the next step for Lewandowski. Well, like we have seen in most cases, maybe in the future, when maybe asked about it, he's going to reveal then we tell, well, Neil, before this continue being a Barca podcast, we can now talk about Aliti. Yep. Um, so, um, going to Aliti, obviously, uh, we are going to talk about uh, Aliti's away form. It's true, we do not show up at Barca, but Aliti has lost three games this season. All of them have been in La Liga, and those three games have come away from home. Mm-hmm. You have the Sich show at um, Valencia, which was 3-0. Uh-huh. We had an, an underwhelming performance. We are Las Palmas, a team which don't create much kind of score to go against Aliti. And then you have now the performance against um, Barca. Do you think this is actually worrying? Because Aliti also played a very boring 0-0 draw. We had Betis. So comparing Aliti's home form and away form is actually night and day because you have played seven games at home, seven games away from home at home, seven wins. Away from home, you have three defeats. 
one draw and three wins. But the three wins were not that very convincing except the 7-0 win at Rio. So Neil, do you think this Alitis away form is actually an issue or Alitia are actually getting used to how they are playing at the moment and their away form will only increase as the season continues? Yeah, you know, I find it very difficult to comment on, on home and away form because I feel like no one knows that better than professional footballers. I've never played at that level, so I'm not sure how much that affects the player. But if we're looking at the results and if we're going by how it is, sure, you can make the case that you know they, they aren't performing as expected away from home. And maybe it's less to do with them being bad away from home but rather them being extremely good at home, you know, with the crowd, with the great stadium, and, and that momentum really builds up. So I don't think they've been poor, and I think that their form will eventually sort of pick up because they are a very good side and they played some great football this season. Um, but I think a challenge for the side would be to match their intensity and their performances at home away from home. But when you look at a game like Barcelona, there should be no excuse not to beat your best because that is one of the biggest games of the season. You should be motivated. You should be hungry. And especially with the storyline with Jao Felix, you know, how, how much history there is and how he celebrated after the goal, there should be a bit of spite, a bit of anger to go out there to be intense and to play great, great football. Um, and we didn't see that, which was very surprising, especially in the second half. And even in those defeats that they have had this season, Las Palmas and Valencia, I think there was a very distinct lack of energy and intensity in certain situations. So, yeah, uh, I don't know if it's an away form thing or if they just, it's a bit of a coincidence or they aren't being able to replicate their intensity at home or away from home. Maybe this would be a better question to ask you. Do you think it's more of a, a form thing or, or is it a bit of psychology? Um, Neil, I'll say it's a little bit of psychology. I think the players kind of have that away from home. And I think, um, like um, La Liga system rightly said, Xavi solved one of the problems against Aleti, which is not conceding the first goal. Because if you notice, at home, Aleti have turned around games. You have 2-0 at home against Kadi. Kadi's and Aleti won 3-2, which could have even ended 5 or 6-2. But now, away from home, I think is the mentality. Like you said, at home, you have the crowd. And the players have been talking about how mm. the atmosphere around the club has changed. Because during the trial period before the World Cup, Simon was talking about for the team to get better, we need the four pillars to be united. That is the fans, the players, the coaches, and the board. So I think that is what we have now. And at home, is very visible because you have Lino, a guy who comes from Valencia, and he's talking about how he feels, how the atmosphere is at home. And against Mallorca, it was very visible because towards the end of, end of the game, Basically, what I think is very visible in games, especially those who watch the Premier League, is that when you are 0-0 at home, you have the fans maybe kind of whistling, given that the game is going towards a drop. But at home, you have the fans instead singing for the players and then cheering them on. And then you have that. But away from home, that is not present. And also, you have the fact that um, Aletia have basically been the best team in La, in La Liga since the turn of the year. And then those teams away from home are also turning up to play against the best team. And then those players, some of them psychologically are not really up for it because you have the game against Osasuna, Aleti kind of starts well and then Aleti scores and then you have Aleti going back into their shell. And then Cholo has also commented about that. The reason I know it's not a tactical decision because Cholo has commented a lot about that because he says we kind of retreated a bit and 
we were not able to play how we wanted to play despite the win. So it kind of gives mm. the vibe that Aleti are actually changing, but things also need to change psychologically, which is something that Chorosimo has ingrained in majority of the players in the squad. Because we know a player like Jimenez has spent more than seven years at Aleti, Korea, same, Koke, Sao. So those players, they have a little bit of that mindset, which is something which is undergoing a change. So I think that is an issue. Yep. No, no, I think I agree with you. Yeah, the intensity levels are just completely different. And, you know, I think Barcelona went through something similar a few years ago where it just wasn't the same home and away. And I think a lot of teams do. Being great at home or being better at home isn't, isn't you know, something out of the ordinary. But being so poor away from home and losing all your games away from home is definitely a cause for concern. So I think you have to address that going forward. Yeah, hopefully, because if we want to win La Liga, we have to address that. We have away trips to Girona, away trips to... Uh... San Mames, away trips to the Bernabeu, those are tough grounds. And if we don't change, those are mm. games we can lose. And we also have to visit the Benito Villa, sorry, not the Benito Villa, but we have to visit the Villarreal Stadium, La Saramica, and we know a little record there. So those are things we have to change. So, Neil, um, like you said um, earlier on in the podcast, um, most Aliti players had a bad game, and one of those players was Molina. This is a guy who has, was probably yeah. one of the best right backs in the league last season, if not the best. But now, mm. this season, he's been good. He scored goals. He's gone for... He has had injuries and he's back. But I think one of the things that he always has is that he's very sloppy in possession. And as the season has progresses, progressed... As the season progresses... Sorry, God, French, kill me. As the season is progressing... Mm. <laughs> as the season progresses, <laughs> we are noticing uh, his weaknesses are being shown and it's like teams are finding him out because Aliti has been pressed heavily on the right hand side where they are building up against most things like was the case in midweek against yes. so against Barca I think he gave the boy away he kind of made a mistake for the Felix goal but I think it was not actually I will not really blame him for it because it was like a 50-50 and if he won the ball then Aliti has a chance to counter attack so Neil what do you think is the issue with Molina mm. because Aliti are doing well but yeah, well, his performances are not great I yeah, I'll be honest, right? Now, this could be a bit of a hot take, but I think Molina is, is quite one-dimensional. So he's a very direct runner, and if he's overlapping, he can be great. You know, he has he's decent, he can cross the ball, and he can score goals. But when he doesn't have the space to make those runs in behind, and when he doesn't have the space to overlap, and when you actually ask him to contribute in possession when a side presses you, when a midfield is aggressive... He can't do that, and he can be a bit of a liability, and we've seen this even for Argentina. Now, the South American style of play is a bit different. So Argentina in the World Cup, they're very intense, they run a lot, and that kind of makes up for certain downsides. But when you're playing club football at the highest level, you can't simply get away with overlapping and trying to thrive on space in behind because there will be situations like the game against Barcelona and like some games we've seen this season where you will get found out in possession, where you will lose the ball and where that will be very detrimental to your side. So I do like Molina. I think he, he can be a very important tactical weapon, especially you know um, as you're out and out wing back, but in situations that demand him to be a bit calmer in possession, to progress the ball, to circulate the ball, I think he can be a liability like he was in certain situations against Barcelona. Yeah, that's actually where Aleti needs to be because I was thinking Aleti look for, yes. looking for a right back 
in the transfer market, they will go for someone like Pierre. And now this boils down to the issues Molina had in his, his start to analysis career because, like you said, kind of one-dimensional, that is also echoing Lorente because it actually implies offers mm. the same thing that Lorente's of, that Lorente offers. But now, I think Cholo realized this, and as he also said, as Molina said in the interview, Cholo had a conversation with him and also training, and I think we started seeing a guy who is trying to maybe cross from deep or try to pick up passes, but that is not his strength. I think that's something Cholo is trying to make him be. So it actually says that he is kind of a liability in certain games, like you have said. And using him and Lorente is like trying to say it's like redundancy because you are using two players yeah. who actually do the same thing. But now let's, for example, yeah. it's like... But um, can I just yeah. ask you, have you guys tried Aspilicueta? Have you tried Aspilicueta in that wingback role? Because he did that for Chelsea. And he is more comfortable on the ball and he will contribute more to your build-up, I believe, than, than Yeah, Berlin. we have tried him in certain games and he was good. I think also like in the game against um, Barca, where though he played as a third centre-back, you could actually see there were, there were moments where he was actually mm. in the um, right-half space and then he was actually looking for a pass or a running behind. And I think there are certain moments where even when he plays as a right centre-back, he is comfortable in going forward and acting as an extra pers- an extra player to actually provide support in and out of possession. But the issue, I think, with Cholo is that it's not easy gaining his trust and getting to the starting eleven, And also Molina actually kind yeah. of having um, kind of the moment of his life in an analytics shirt. So it was actually tough yeah. for Aspilicueta all of a sudden to just be the starter. But I think with the form, Molina is, I think, maybe we may see Aspilicueta. Yeah. But the thing I'm not so optimistic is the fact that it shows that what Cholo actually wants from the right, because the way Aleti play, okay, on the left, you have um, an underload which has been created by the right. Because on the right, you kind of have an overload where you have intricate build-up and then you have a pass to an of somebody overlapping. That's what Cholo actually wants from his right wing back. And if that's not possible, then now you can then switch play to the left to have a 1v1. And Carrasco was very good at that. And now Lino and Vikelmi are also good dribblers. So that's the case. I think that's the reason I fear we may not see Aspilicueta playing as a right man because I think he is above 30 and now the later stages of his career. And then we will not, he will not have that engine to go up and down the flank, which is the reason why when Molina is out, you actually have Lorente playing there. Except Cholo will have to like remodel what he wants from that role. So I think um, mm-hmm. the remedy I think Cholo, um, Cholo could use, which I think... Luis Enrique used when Lorente was playing for the national team. And I think Cholo has used it before. It's actually, Koki that time, at that moment, Koki was playing as an interior. And I think you have Koki actually dropping zip. And then you have now Lorente being the one going in front, which is something I'm suggesting, which actually saying that um, we can have maybe De Paul or even someone who is very good in the ball, like Barrios, which we miss very much in that game playing deeper and then now you now have maybe one of Lorente and Molina as the wing backs and then that player behind him now can actually take part in the build-up while Molina is now higher up the pitch, which can actually get rid now of his deficiency in playing under pressure. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we see how the season evolves and how true. Yeah, I, I think I think you guys have the same problem as a lot of sides as you don't have a natural defensive midfield. You know, we know Koke can slot in, he can do the, the job on and off the ball, but he is getting older and if he's not in form or if he gets injured, you see 
Atletico Madrid just can't hold on to the ball, the ball progression, the circulation. It just isn't up to the mark. And with Barrios out as well, I think your one Koke injury or one Koke unavailability from being in very big yeah, trouble. Yeah, we are missing a DM. Thanks to Man City and Arsenal for that. Oh. <laughs> very well, I think I've also been asked this, that can Barry actually be like the holy midfielder? I think he can, but he's too young. And like in the games where he has been taken mm. off the pitch and he's actually to play the role as a holy midfielder, he still lacks that pulse. You have a lot of excitement and verticality in his veins and that kind of make the game especially towards the end of the game, we want to see off games kind of end-to-end instead of more control for Maliti with the ball. So he still has to learn. And you're talking about uh, Maliti needing a holding midfielder. That's actually true because Cholo complained throughout the summer that he needs an extra midfielder and think we're actually about to get Hoiberg, which I was not a fan of because I also see him as a hothead and a type more mm. of an eight than a six, that kind of hybrid. Yeah, no, I, I think the problem with Hoiberg is that he won't, like he's not, He's not going to handle your ball progression single-handedly. You know, he's good off the ball, but on the ball, he's a bit shaky. He's decent, but I don't think he's, like, the type of profile that will make you much, much better. Yeah, well, I've, I've seen links with Zubimendi, but given how things are done at Alexi, and knowing <laughs> Zubimendi is from the Bucks area, we all know how it is tough to sign Bucks players. So I have no hopes. Hopefully, Alexi can do some scouting like they... Did with Gimarez, but then Gil kind of ruined everything. So hopefully we can have a midfielder maybe in January. I think there have been links with Guido, but now we all know Guido's weakness is also ball progression, which means a lot mm. of things will have to be tweaked. Wow, it's not easy having a decent six at the moment, given how football evolves. <laughs> we'll give you Oriol Romero for 20 million, okay? <laughs> come, come take Romero from Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, you can't switch the tables, okay? Neil, you can't switch the tables. We are the ones who actually do that. I know. It's time. It's time we switch the tables. Uh, okay. Well, hopefully you guys don't switch because I've tried to limit this episode of talking about Felix, but I'm hoping he performs good for you guys. I do not actually have a lot of problems with what he did that day because I actually don't see him as an analytic player because... He's actually a player that um, I think doesn't want to be a reality. And um, I'll just opinion on mm. this because I think that he is a very talented player and I think all of us know that. But now I think his issue is consistency. And I think everyone knows that. Yeah. Even, even he himself yeah. knows that. And the issue yeah. I'm not actually happy with Felix is for the fact that he kind of put Yamakuke and um, Griezmann's effort to waste because they actually kind of tried to patch things up with Simeon and then create a chance for him to actually be part of the team, which would have been great because the way Aleti play now, I think he would have thrived in it, to be honest, because it's actually like having a mini sense mm. of the way Aleti played in the first half of the title winning season in the 2020-21 season. But well, it is what it is, and he, as mm-hmm. I hope he actually does well. Mate, you know, I, yeah? I have a, I already have a love-hate relationship with Felix because we know how good he can be. We know he's talented. We know he can create. But we know he's so inconsistent. And, you know, if you're talking about a footballer who's supposed to be worth 70, 80, 90 million pounds, you just don't see enough from him on a weekly basis. If he performs as he did last, last, um, last game every week, then he'd justify the hype and the price tag. But, you know, he just, he's too hot and cold right now. And 
once he adds that consistency, or if he adds that consistency to his game, he'll go to the next level. But as a Barcelona fan, if you remember, we've been saying the same thing about Dembele for six years, and that consistency just never came. So I, I'm not optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fair enough. Well, Neil, um, like you said, if, and I hope he does, because I think Aliti will need that, mom- that money to kind of do some squad overhauling because you have a lot of players who are 30 and are both in the squad and also their contracts are running out. So hopefully he finds that because each time he does well, I'm kind of happy for him. And I think the most consistent he has ever been in his career so far is from August to December, <laughs> yeah. which was during a title season. So... If he can repeat that now from December, sorry, from December now till May, fantastic. I believe he gives us that money. And I hope Laporte is not, will not listen to the podcast because if he does, hopefully <laughs> he may not. Yeah. So please, I hope. Well, I can't be... I know I'm not biased because it's a lady and I know you are not biased, Barca, but I hope the 8 million comes in. Um, <laughs> Neil, uh, moving forward, um, we have to talk about um, Barrios. He's actually a player who has actually has been coming up. We just came up to the scene and actually used the, the fact that Maliti was struggling the first half of the season and then kind of gained minutes. But actually, we have seen that he's an all-round player. And my biggest fear is that he should not become like Sawe Jack of Altered because no matter where he has played this season, he has been fantastic. As a holding midfield against Rayo, he actually did very well. As an interior, he has done very well as a so he, he's a player who can carry the ball and make runs into the box. So, Neil, I want to just ask a quick question. What do you think Barrios' potential is and what, where do you think he may end up at in terms of roles or positioning? Yeah, no, I agree. First of all, I'd like to say that I really, really like Barrios. I think the first moment I saw him, I thought he was just a sensation. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't say you really like it. Nah, you cannot like it because this actually mean Barca goes for him. <laughs> I know. I've, I've had good luck recently, especially with Kunde and Garcia, who says he wants to come to Barcelona. Oh. But uh, no, I don't think it'll happen personally. Um, in terms of roles, I, I see him more as an, an eight than a six. I think he's more of an advanced interior who can sort of um, control the game a little bit more, move the ball along, maybe get that creative aspect going. Um so, yeah, I'd see him further forward as opposed to a natural eight. I also think he's quite different from Koke. But if you're looking at the current midfielders that Atletico Madrid have right now, if anyone can play a deeper role aside from Koke, it would be Barros. But like you mentioned before, he's too young to be tasked with the responsibility of, a, of sort of transitioning into a, into a natural pivot or, or anything of that sort. So ideally, if you have a pivot of um, Koke and Barrios in, in a certain way and maybe DePaul playing in a bit of an advanced role, I think that would be Atletico Madrid's best midfield. Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. So, um, so um, Neil, you talked about the fact that Aletia are basically maybe a Koke injury away from actually maybe everything going sideways. So do you think Aletia kind of of a depend on Koke and do you think maybe there are other solutions for Aleti to do without Koke like we saw in the later stages of the Barca game where he was not there and then Sahu came on? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just don't think so. Like, I think if Koke isn't playing and if you don't sign another DM, 
things will get very tough for Atleti because you got to understand, right, when Saul comes in, you're going full attack mode. Barcelona are treating Atletico Madrid are going into going all out, basically, because you have nothing to lose. You have to win the game or get a result, right? But that is a very specific game yeah. state. Not every game state. In fact, most game states won't be like that. You need a bit of control. You can't just go all out attack. So um, right now, I just don't see anyone apart from Koke giving you that stability, giving you that ball circulation, and giving you that progression in that deep sort of um, number six role. Oh, so hopefully, Aliti can get someone good in the summer. And at the moment, it seems like we may be... Yeah, I mean, look, I think there are lots of um, very interesting young DMs who can sort of play. Um, we know Alan Varela, he recently went to Porto. I'm a big fan of him. Arthur Vermeeren, he plays for Antwerp, yeah. Barcelona, reportedly interested in him. I, I really like him too. Um, and then in, in Argentina, there's Federico Redondo, who's who's the son of, of Real Madrid's legend Redondo. And, and I think he's very good. Will he join Atletico Madrid or Barcelona? Probably not, but he's a very interesting profile um, to keep an eye on. And then the last one is Gabriel Moscato, who is heading to PSG, which I'm very, very upset about because I really, really wanted him at Barcelona. But yeah, those are the four or five players that I'd pick as my top young DM prospect. Well, Neil, if those are your top young DM prospect, then that's actually very good. And I'll take your word for it, but we all know that will actually be on the radar of so many big clubs, and I'm not sure a little bit yeah. financially with them. Well, um, let's see how things go because it's at the moment. At the moment, it seems a little are not actually. It's like a little have where the shock for certain players because when it comes to the defense at the moment, it seems like a are now heading towards more France, and at the attack line, a are kind of going towards more experienced players. And then the midfield is like basically Spaniards. So let's see how things go because there's not really a really, there's not really many, there are not really many top DMs in Spain who are Spaniards at the moment, except that Alita are willing to bet, take a huge bet on maybe those who are around, but it was not been strange. We have seen Alita maybe sign, um, for example, former Real Madrid players. So I'm think, saying that with Antonio Blanco in mind, even though at the moment he's not the level of Alita. So, um, yeah. Going forward, Neil, um, we, uh, we have mentioned De Paul, but we do not talk about how bad he was because he's actually bad. It's like when you watch De Paul for Argentina and you watch the guy for Aleti, mm. like two different players, do you think he's more motivated to be a Messi's bodyguard while playing for Argentina than he is for Aleti? Because he actually has good games for Aleti, but he's not really, really consistent. He's like the type of player. Yeah. It's like a nine or ten on ten, nine on ten or ten on ten in a game, and another game he gives you like a six or five. What do you think is actually the reason yeah. for well, that? It's it's really funny because I think it's really hard to judge Argentina players because what Argentina have going on right now is something very special. It's almost like every player who plays for them plays way better for the national team than they do for their country. I think it's a combination of how different South American qualifiers are and how different their style of play is. But it's also that extra motivation and that extra hunger and passion to represent their country. Um, DePaul at Udinese was very, very good. He's one of my favorite players to watch. But since he's come to Atleti, I just haven't seen that dimension for him. You know, he doesn't take on his man with the same efficiency. He was one of the most high-volume dribblers in, in, in Europe back in the day when he was in Serie A. But now, 
we haven't seen any of that. We haven't seen him take on his man consistently and efficiently like he once did. Um, and I think that comes down a little bit to the role he's deployed in, but also to him not being able to find his feet and adjust to, to Spain. As yet, you know, we've seen it with so many players. When you're at a lesser club, no disrespected, and they see it in a league where, you know, the eyeballs aren't at you as much as they are now. Um, and when you play with a manager as demanding as Diego Simeone, things can just as easily go wrong. And we've seen that with a lot of players, and not to mention Jao Felix, who, who plays for Barcelona now. So, um, yeah, I just haven't seen enough from DePaul, even though I'm a huge fan of him. Um, and to be honest, in recent games, I've, I've watched him for Argentina for late, even in that World Cup. Um, he hasn't been the most consistently good player. I think he's been overshadowed by Enzo and McAllister in a lot of the games for Argentina. So, yeah, he just isn't in his best moment right now. And I don't know if he'll recover that because we haven't seen anywhere near his best um, at Atletico Madrid. Yeah, Neil, it's actually quite really shocking because um, Aliti, he has a role where he's kind of maybe in charge of like the creativity especially in the attack. And I think where, given the fact that he can find that spark or his levels he had at Udinese, that kind of implies that there are certain moments where Griezmann now has to come into play because, like Griezmann says, his role is basically finding where the team needs him and then he gives that. Because you see him trying to play those true balls and it's not going... Even when he tries to do a take on, it's not going. It's like, like you said, he's not having a good moment but at the moment. But that's actually been a story of his analytic career. So like a rumor which came out today saying that he's one of the players who are untouchable. Hopefully that gives him confidence and then we can see that they pull because Barrios actually having more carries or more take ons than they pull is actually shocking to me because that's what I expected from they yeah. And Barrios have done it playing a similar role, but that's not been the case. So... It's actually shocking, and I hope he can actually find the levels because Alessi will need every player to actually be at the best to actually win La Liga this season, which I actually want us to do that because I'm saying so because Real and Girona had a very, very good moment, at, and Bedria Majid, I think, are the team to beat, given their dynamism and also their mentality. So, actually, I hope yeah. he can actually achieve that. So, Neil, um, the season started. Match they won, Aleti playing Girona, sorry, Granada. Aleti won the game, but now a certain 19-year-old scored for Granada and his performance was actually great and Aleti signed him and Aleti could not loan him back to Granada because of La Liga rules. And then he went alone to Alaves and he's been great. And you watch his, his first half against Barca, it was like watching R9. It was fantastic. He actually bullied Kunde onto Xavi had to make a tactical switch and Araujo go centrally and Kunde go to right back. So, Neil, I want to ask you yep. what's your overall take on Samu Omorodion's season overall. It's actually kind of tough for me each time I want to pronounce the R and I don't make R. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, mate. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, but I will tell you I am a very big fan. Um, you know, I think being 193 centimeters, he is almost the perfect target man it's it's really difficult nowadays you don't get those type of players who are strong who work hard who have great ball striking um and he reminds me of one of those blast from the past strikers you know we have a few of them in la liga especially um a little bit of a frustrating one in solo but i think um he is very different because he's got 
excellent pace. He's quite refined. You know, I know he's still a bit raw, but if you look at some of the things he does, especially when he bullied Kunde, he's just such a valuable profile. And, you know, we know that Murata is aging right now and Tola likes to play with those two strikers. So if you get someone like him playing alongside Griezmann, who's dropping deep, you've got such a good front two because his strength and his hold-up play will just add a completely different layer. You know, I like Murat. I think he's hard-working. I think he's a good player. But if um, Amoredan lives up to his potential, um, I think Atletico Madrid has signed a very, very good player. Um, and that whole deal it went through so fast. You know, he scored and then he came to Yule and then you loaned him out. It was a very interesting move. And, and I think he's definitely um, showing great signs of potential for the future as well. Uh, and um, Cholo kind of um, compared him to Costa in the fact that uh, he's very, very smart in the box and also he's good in open space. And like Samu said, he doesn't just like to dominate the open space, but also in short distances. And that was the case against Barca for the opening goal where he kind of, it's like he got out from nowhere, but he was actually reading the game and trying to read the cross. And he also repeated the same movement the following week against um, Granada. So it actually shows um, his inbox movement is actually great. And in open space or even in closed distances, yeah. he can actually do a lot. So, but at the moment, I think he's gets a lot of good chances, which he actually could because it shows how brilliant his movement in the box is and also how good he's at getting those chances. But now his finishing is not great, which was visible. Yes, but I'll be... I'll be honest, I, I am not worried about, you know, when young strikers, when they miss a lot of chances, people tend to criticize them and get on their nerve a little bit. But sure. the most important thing is that he's getting in those positions to get those chances, in my opinion. So, and I'm not talking about you, but on Twitter, you know, you see people, they get very easily, um, very reactionary when, when a youngster sort of misses a few chances. But for me, that's very important because he's getting those chances and eventually, he will add the finishing to his game because the most important thing for me is that he is strong, but he's mobile. You know, like you said, he, he can run in behind, he can hold up the play, but he has got the ability to also run in on the back of the the defenders, which is very important. Um, and I really, really like him. I think he's one of the most extri- exciting strikers um, in, in the league right now. Yeah, thankfully for Aliti, Aliti was smart to kind of solve a long-term problem, which I think we have had since we sold Costa to Chelsea and buying him back for a ridiculous fee and him coming and not doing so great. Same for Morata, who has not really who has been on par except this season. So hopefully he can solve our long-term project, our long-term problems. Because at the moment, looking at Aliti, especially at the lower levels, you have a lot of good strikers. And Renino has been fantastic. Like he scores all games. So it's like actually a little at the moment, maybe for striking position, I think it's like the future is maybe sealed. So Neil, um, we are almost at the end of um, the episode. Um, I just want to ask, the win was actually very good for Barca and not so good for Aliti, but I want to just ask what are your positions, let's say, come the end of the season in terms of all competitions for both clubs? Uh, the end goal, I think, for Barcelona has to be the minimum to win La Liga. I know it's not going to be easy. Madrid look very, very strong. Girona look good. Atletico Madrid look good. But I think we have to keep going forward. After you win the league last season, you've added some very good players to the squad. Overall, I think, on paper, we're better than we were last season. It's very important that you keep adding and you keep building the momentum. So 
Um, Barcelona, for me, if I had to give you sort of an achievement um, at the end of the season, I think win the league or at least push and, you know, lose in a dignified manner. And then I'm looking at maybe the quarterfinal and above for the Champions League. You know, you never know what's going to happen with the draw. But if Barcelona get into the quarters or the semis, I think they'll be content. And that would be enough for Xavi to sort of keep the credit in the bank. And um, for Atletico Madrid, it's interesting because you guys can win La Liga. You know, I think it's it's going to be between Barcelona and Real Madrid and at the Atletico Madrid at the end of the day. Um, but I want to see a big European campaign from you, you know. I want to see you guys go out there and cause a few upsets in Europe. You know, we know your track record against Premier League sides is pretty good. So um, if you do get into the quarterfinals or something, I think Atletico Madrid could make a decent run. So that would be my hope for Atleti this season. Yeah, Neil, actually, we have made it out of the group stages. Yes. Yes, me too. We, we too, bro. It's the same for Barcelona. I'm very happy that we're both out. <laughs> yeah, so and that's good for La Liga. Yeah, you know? very good. A relief, really. So, uh, yeah, so it's actually a relief. So, stay, like you said, uh, hopefully we can make a bu- big push. And also you have um, the friendly game. Sorry, uh, it's not called friendly. I'm sorry, the Super Cup coming in January. So that's actually maybe another title which... I hope um, we can actually go for four because this squad, the squad, the squad actually look hungry. Because if you look at the real players, the reaction of the players face after the game, they were actually annoyed. I think the only guy who was actually smiling was Memphis. So it actually says that the players were not content with themselves, their performance, and the rest, and they are actually they actually want to win something. So hopefully this group of players can do something great. And Neil, I think you guys are facing Girona this weekend, and I'm sure you are. Confident going to after beating Aliti and I'm um, hoping both teams can lose, but that's impossible because you guys are at the moment kind of a title driver, but I would rather Jonah win than you guys win. So, Neil, I'm sure you are going to eat. And uh, the reason I consider you guys maybe the favorite is not for the fact that you are from winning Aliti, but it's for the fact that Jonah are without Yangel Herrera. So, yeah. do you think, uh, what's your opinion? Yeah, no, I think and this could come back to bite me. You know, I could say something that people clip, but um, I think. It, it could be a jinx. Um, I've been known to do that all the time. But I think Girona is a good matchup for Barcelona stylistically. Of course, they play great football, but we know that they don't compromise their style for anyone and they will try and be aggressive. But that also means that Barcelona will have more opportunities to get on the ball and to create chances. So if, if Lewandowski or whoever plays a striker can have a decent game... Um, I think Girona are the kind of side that Barcelona generally play well against, you know. So um, it won't be easy, but I, I'm confident that we'll get a good result in that game. Okay, fair enough. After all, you guys created a lot of chances. You guys increased, increased sorry, our expected goals against from 11 points to almost 14. So definitely, and Girona gives away a lot of chances. But I'm hoping, like I said, a draw or a Girona win because I believe as the season progresses, Girona may actually regress. As compared to Barca, if they keep on racking wins and building momentum, that's very, very deadly because we know the talent you guys have. And if the players become so confident, then you guys can actually push for so many things, especially with a very inspiring coach like Xavi. So, Neil, um, last question um, before we close the podcast. Who is your favorite Alessi player of all time? Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. That's a, 
That is a difficult question. Okay, let me think. Um, hmm. You know, I, I'll, I'll give you two names, right? The first one, okay. of course, is Godin. I think Godin was just phenomenal. Along with, you know, people tend to have PK and Ramos in their own bracket. But for me, it's true. It's PK, Ramos, and Diego Godin. I think he was phenomenal for so long. And, you know, I just I just love that South, South American spirit that comes out of of those players, I have the same affection for Araujo at Barcelona. So the first one would be Godin, and the second one would be Falcao. Um, I was a huge fan of Falcao. So, yeah, I know it's a bit of a controversial one, but I really, really liked him. I don't know what yeah. to say. I, I just really like Falcao. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. It was a, after all, it was a question out of the blue. And you saying you like Godin. I know another person will accept what you said on Godin, Piquet, and Ramos. It's Michel. You can even check his yeah. header. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And no, as for Falcao, uh, yeah, so surprisingly, you may be surprised. He does not have a longer stay at Leti, but he's he was one of the best strikers I can say I've watched, and I think his prime was actually very scary because he could oh, do he was so good. Yeah. 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 I think well, you know actually, his prime. It coincided yeah. when I was really you know into La Liga, so I was just blown away every time. You know those goals Ooh. he used to score. He was so good. So yeah. yeah. Well, I think he scored five goals against. I think Deportivo. I think yes. So, uh, mm. like, where well, like where I'm from, actually, because I was, so I started supporting Alice very early in 2009. So, where I'm from, I think, usually quality, one-man army because of Falcao. Because he was actually, actually very scary of the things he could do, how agile he was, and the range of finishes he had in his arsenal was just fantastic. Well, gone are those days. Hopefully, we can get back to those days. No offense to Morata, though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe you got it with Omarado, eh? Maybe he'll come on. Yeah. And that yeah. Guy for you who guys. knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, Neil, to be honest, it was actually fantastic chatting with you. Yeah, no, mate. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, always good to come and talk about Barcelona. Um, I'm on a holiday right now, so <laughs> I've got nothing to do. Yeah. Good to talk about football whenever possible. And yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, and, um, and obviously, I will. generally, all what I always do is I say I wish you and the team you support the best in the future, but now our interest is coincide. So I hope you guys do well. Yeah. Thank you. I, I hope <laughs> you do well too, mate. I hope you do uh, well too. Yeah. So thank you very much. Um. So if you have listened up to this moment, thank you very much for listening to the Partido Partido podcast. And remember, Nunca, they are the great, never stop believing. And see you next time. <laughs>